people told me I couldn't do a lot of things. I feel like I'm the chosen one. Look at this. We created this. This didn't exist before we were here. All we are is proud and passionate. I love Toronto. I love this team. And we're going to the Nothing matters but winning. Welcome back to episode 66 of Rapsville Weekly. I'm your co-host, Gabriel Cellio, here with my other co-host, Adam Casucci. And today we have a special episode for you guys. We're going to be talking about two games in particular, the Toronto Raptors versus the Milwaukee Bucks, game two of the doubleheader, and also the game against the Minnesota Timberwolves that just happened last night. Before we get into that, as always, please like and subscribe. Leave your comments down below about your opinions on these topics. And as always, check us out on Instagram, at Rapsville, for NBA news and Raptors content. Before we get into the episode, though, I have to warn you guys, we do have a special guest on today. Very important. We have a long-term friend, long-term Raptors fan, Marco Carreri. Marco, say hello. What up, guys? We're very excited to have him. Another a new guest on the show. We usually have Enzo, our correspondent, and now we got Marco here. And we're going to have more guests in Season 3. So when that's happening on our Instagram, we're going to put a little post for people that want to come on the show. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Marco, I've got a couple of quick questions for you, kind of just introducing yourself to the podcast. So we know you've been a longtime Raptors fan. Roughly how long have you been watching them? And do you have a favorite Raptors memory? Um, okay, so my, my first Raptors memory is actually a really sad one. Um, uh, it was in 2007, the playoffs, when Jose Calderon turned over the ball in a pass to Chris Bosh, and we lost to the Nets in the playoffs. That led in a lot of tears, but... Uh, you know, I followed it up in 2014. I would say that's my favorite Raptors memory. Um, it was the first time making the playoffs in a few years. That was the Brooklyn Nets series. And at that point, um, I'd been old enough to really appreciate the game that I was watching. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you, you basically your favorite memory is kind of the start of you watching basketball and your love for the sport kind of began there. So obviously, I think that's a great answer. Um, we also heard that you like podcasts. So is there any podcasts in particular that you are really fond of you like to listen to? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I, I, I'm an avid Joe Rogan podcast listener. We love um, that. Every day I'll play him before I go to bed. Um, I also listen to Impulsive with Logan Paul. Nice. Um, just, just more casual, but you know, yeah. I, I think Joe Rogan has a nice mix between, um, intellectual conversations but also he has the mma side of things he mm-hmm. talks sports um he keeps things up to date so uh yeah definitely joe rogan's my number one guy i'll mix right. in a few other ones but nothing special i like that i like that so you got some long form podcasts there i like i've listened to both of those as well great podcasts listen to for anybody out there um mark for your predictions on this season, where do you think the Raptors will place in the standings at the end of the regular season? And maybe any predictions for the playoffs? Where do you think we're headed? Okay, so for the regular season, I could see us finishing off um, in fifth place, uh, possibly fourth. Um, I do think the Sixers will finish in first. And in terms of playoffs, I could see us making it to the second round this year. Um, with our current roster, I could see only the second round. I don't think okay. we have the the finals build. Maybe if we did make a trade, something changed. Um, yeah, I could see us becoming contenders, but not right now. I could see a second round exit. Okay, I think that's very fair. We've been talking about the current roster and how it stands and how we're looking a little weak compared to previous years. And 
the the playoff exit I I understand. And in terms of standings as well, I think that's a good mark. Uh, fifth seed or fourth seed right now, where it's pretty close between us, the Pacers, and the Celtics. And the top three are kind of looking a little bit harder to touch in terms of Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and uh, 76ers. But I think that fourth or fifth seed could be a good uh, position for us to play in. Yeah. And last question here. Do you have a favorite player on the Raptors for this season? Uh, For sure. Fred Van Bleet. Um, he, he's yeah. always showing up. Uh, he's reached his highest point totals this year. I mean, he's he's playing phenomenal, and he's really becoming the number one guy on our team, in my opinion. So, for sure, him. Okay, that's fair. Adam, I know you're going to love that. Yeah, Mark, thanks thanks for that, uh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> he's my favorite player as well. And uh, transitioning into our topics of this episode, uh, I want to ask you guys, um, the turnaround for Terrence Davis' season um, how's it been personally on and off the court? Obviously, he's had a rough start to the season, uh, not playing his best, uh, not really giving giving us the full package off the bench. But now, lately, as we saw last night against the Timberwolves, we saw uh, an explosion in that fourth quarter, finishing off with 11 points. So you think this will be kind of the spark and the turn to his season? Obviously, the allegations kind of blowing off, kind of ending. Do you think this will help him in the future? Well, you know what? Uh, I think for sure his production off the bench before last year, um, the year before, was definitely higher. Uh, this year, obviously, it's been less than ideal for the guy. Um, yesterday was nice. I think he shot, what, three for four from three, only in the fourth quarter almost. Um, yep. He definitely deserves more minutes than, than Flynn. I thought that was a little bit of a slap in the face to Terrence <laughs> yep. Davis. Yeah. Um, he could give us that nice spark coming off the bench, but he is pretty streaky, especially this year. Um, and he kind of reminds me of uh, like a worse Terrence Ross, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got big accusations there. Um, I agree that I think Terrence Davis, uh, you know, last night, his performance, it deserved to step up from Flynn. Flynn, it was a lot of hype coming from the 905. He had a couple of great games there. And uh, for some reason, we decided to pull him up. I think we'll talk about that later. And they kind of wanted to show him off a little bit more, give him some more minutes to play with the starters. But I think that Terrence Davis, we know he can be offensively, uh, he can be strong, a good, good player for us. Defensively is always where the problems lie. And those kind of mistakes on the defensive end, or even maybe turnovers on the offensive end, but we know he's a good scorer. And we saw that last night in 11 minutes of play, he had 11 points, uh, making a clutch three pointer at the end. So clearly he can be very valuable to this team. It's just a question of whether or not, um, his play continues. And I think now, um, with the, with the court uh, charges being dismissed, I think that's a little bit of less weight off his shoulders in terms of his personal life. And that's probably going to help him relax more and maybe get back into his game, not have to worry about stress off of the court and kind of just focus on his game in general. Yeah, for me in this TD situation, I really feel like um, it's a it's a foundational type of thing. I feel like uh, when you're in this in this Raptors team, you kind of have to work your way up. Obviously, we've seen Norman Powell uh, move his way from the bench to the starting lineup and kind of move forward that way. I feel Terrence Davis, like you said, Mark, is kind of a slap in the face, having Malachi Flynn, the rookie, kind of play in front of him. I guess Nurse was trying to ride the hot hand because he had a couple good uh, 905 games, which I believe. But I think now, after the allegations are gone, his mind is more clear and he can really focus on the game and uh, and hopefully get some good performances in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now transitioning to the Andre Drummond topic. This is a huge one. Me and Gabe have already stated our opinion for this. But Mark, we really want to hear your opinion. Um, what's the deal? What do you think the, the deal can be? And how do the Raptors win this trade? 
Okay, so first off, I just want to give um, a little bit of a, a background as to why I think it's a perfect fit. Um, so since Chris Boss has left in 2010, we haven't really had uh, a one go-to big man. We've had the elite one-two punch in Gasol and Ibaka, and that was perfect for our championship run. But we haven't seen just one big guy since Chris Bosch really take control of the team. And, you know, Drummond's 27. He's in his prime. Um, he's averaging 13.5 boards a game, so he's a presence in the paint. Um, and, you know, our rebounding leader, Siakam, with 7.7 a game. Ibaka averaged 8. Um, you know, we haven't had that presence. And he scores really efficiently, too. I think he could... I think you could potentially get up to 20 point totals consistently in our system. You know, and let's put the guy on a, on a good team for crying out loud. He's been with Detroit Pistons and Cleveland Cavaliers. So, oh. um, but you know, I do think the deal could send Drummond to Toronto for Kyle and maybe some picks. Who knows? I think it's smart for the Cavs to bring in a seasoned, you know, high performing veteran like mm-hmm. Lowry to mentor Sexton, an emerging star. Um, you know, they do also have Darius Garland, so it's not ideal to have two point guards. So that could be a little bit of a, a, a rough deal to make. Um, but a little bit of a hot take here. I wouldn't be too surprised if um, the Cavs tried to explore uh, Siakam in a trade. Um, maybe we would uh, get some extra compensation. But... Um, you know, I, I would, I just wouldn't be too surprised if I saw that. I think the Raptors would win the trade though, because this would complete our team at, you know, every position. Uh, I think this would actually make us serious contenders. So. No, everyone's got their take on this. And I think that, you know, some of your points are valid there in terms of contracts. In order to make this deal go through, you kind of have to give up. Uh, a big player we kind of don't really want to get rid of our starters from what I'm hearing and that's one of the reasons the trade may not go through but in order to make this work you might end up having to deal with a Pascal trade or a Lowry trade Um, in terms of what our franchise I think believes in right now and our our front office I think that they're going to think that that trade is a little overvalued in terms of what we're giving up Um, I think there's also many fans that believe that Kyle has had his tenure with this team and um He's trying to. He's t- kind of taking a step down in terms of productivity, and we've seen that we can win without him. So I think it's possible that uh, you know that move could happen. But I feel like also at the same time, there's going to be a lot of the fan base that's going to be very sad to see their uh, our star player go, and you know our longtime Raptor and Kyle Lowry. So it's definitely going to cause a little bit of uproar if he were to be a part of the trade. But um, it could be a trade necessary to move this franchise in the right direction. I feel like if I were the the GM trying to make that trade happen, if I'm giving up Kyle, I feel like I'd want something else in return from Cleveland because Drummond wants to leave there. And like it's kind of like the Kawhi situation. Because they want to leave and that trade needs to happen, they're not even playing him. He's just dead space of $30 million. We have the upper hand on the trade where I feel like we can ask for more if they want someone like Kyle. Yeah, even if the Cavs do do that trade, um, with, with the Kyle trade, I think they will probably ship Kyle off right away because, like you said, Mark, uh, uh, Sexton, Garland, they're going to have three point guards and Lowry, which I don't think that will fit the system too well. So I honestly think, in my opinion, they will try to hit OG. I think the Raptors will be very hesitant to give him up, knowing uh, his potential in the team and what he's been doing of late defensively and offensively. And uh, I think Norman Powell will try to be included uh, in the, the Cleveland Cavaliers standpoint. Uh, because of his hot run right now, I think it's 14 games over double digits, and uh, it's the best uh, Paul's been playing for a while. So I think he will be included. 
And transitioning to our next topic, Kyle Lowry. The Raptors have been 17-0 without Kyle Lowry in the last couple of years. Is this just a coincidence? And uh, what's Kyle's future like with the Toronto Raptors going forward? I mean, you, you see the 17-0. Um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, it's not despite Lowry. I love Lowry. But to me, the ball looks like it moves a lot quicker around the court and smoother. Um, things look a little bit more systematized and less like Lowry's just calling the shots on the spot. Um, yeah, that's my take on that. So I guess, you know, a lot of the times numbers don't tell the full story. And uh, here it's kind of hard to tell. We've, we've won without them. That's clear. And that could be promising for the future of this team. When we look at that sense, there is, uh, you know, some type of future here with maybe Fred running the team at the point guard. Um, there's some games where I feel like our team just plays horrible and we literally can't get a bucket. And it looks like we need someone like Kyle who has that will to win and makes winning plays like drawing charges or getting deflections. Sometimes his presence is, it's pre- it's prevalent when he's not there. But at the same time, you're seeing this record of how many games we've won without him. So um, I, it's hard to, I don't know. And personally, I don't, I don't really know if it's uh, a true representation of him being here or not being here because there's a lot of games and I think, if this team doesn't have Kyle, there's no way we come out of this season alive or this game alive. So uh, I think it's game-by-game game scenario. But if if it's a record saying that, that we could possibly be winning at this type of rate without Kyle, then maybe that is a, a telltale sign that he could be end up being moved, maybe for Drummond or something like that. And maybe that, that trade could go through. Yeah, in my opinion here, uh, when seeing this record 17-0, I think it's the guys off the bench and, and guys coming into the starting lo- uh, lineup, their eyes kind of light up. When they see Kyle Lowry out, they kind of see their opportunity to shine. Nick Nurse always mentions the ball has to be distributed, uh, the shots have to be distributed to different guys uh, during the game. So if Kyle Lowry's out, more uh, other guys are going to be having more shots uh, to shoot. So I think guys have to kind of pounce on that opportunity, and I think they really come into the game focused. Uh, more than usual, and really prepared. And that's why I think we've seen this result in this undefeated record. And then moving on with Kyle in the future, uh, I think it's going to be this year or next year, I think, for Kyle. I mean, I wish he can stay here for his whole career. Uh, he's been, uh, he's, he's been a, a monumental guy uh, for this organization, and he just keeps on playing well, uh, even with age, as he moves forward in his career. So I hope to see him, but I do think it will be a trade, or, uh, or we will lose him in free agency. I'm not wanting to give him the full amount. Yeah. Quick thought, quick thoughts here, if I could interrupt. Um, yeah. In his in his stage right now, uh, the stage in his career, um, with the accolades he has, where do you guys see him stacking up in terms of the Hall of Fame? Do you guys see him making that? Yeah, personally, I think yes. I think that he's done a lot for this franchise, and you can see kind of just off of the the team accolades that he pretty much is at the top of everything. You saw even moved up to. Uh, third in rebounds, which is for a point guard six foot. That's impressive. And he's obviously won a championship with the team. He is, a, I believe, six-time All-Star. Um, those two alone say a lot, uh, plus his ability to just anchor this team year in and year out, making the playoffs and being so high up in our team franchise. I think we just deserve to have someone like him as a Hall of Fame player, just kind of being uh, more homegrown that we've we've took him in and then kind of developed him for you know, a bunch of years now. I think that that in itself, I think that the Raptors deserve someone like him coming in, being represented as a true Raptor, not someone like Vince Carter who started here and then left, and Tracy who left, and Bosch who left. Someone that's played a bulk of their prime with us. I feel like we deserve that. Yeah, no, I, tru- I truly agree, Gabe. And not even for the statistics, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think it's just because his will to win 
and uh, and the way he, he takes the game. I mean, Kyle will will try his hardest every game. I haven't seen a guy who works harder and gives 100% every game. The way he, he comes into the arena, uh, Open Gym have, have showed that. The way he comes in, the way he teaches the younger players how to play, and he really is a role model for them. So I think uh, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Moving on to our next topic, can Norm really follow in Pascal's and Fred's footsteps, and what's his ceiling? Um. Okay, for this, well, I, I personally like Norm a lot. Uh, I think he's a really good three to have on a team. I don't think he's a one or a two by any stretch. Um, he's a fundamental player. He attacks the rack, draws fouls, gets to the line, and he has a really great uh, free throw percentage. Um, I don't think he has the same upside as a guy like Fred. Uh, based on his play this season, though, I can't count him out. You know, he's played really well. Yeah. Uh, I do think he has more upside than Pascal, personally. I think his old-school play can get him farther than Pascal's unorthodox playing style, which is kind of, um, you know, once you get tape on a guy like Pascal, I've kind of noticed that teams can, can read him a lot better. Yeah, um, yeah that that's just me. Personally. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, like you said, um, I feel like Pascal was amazing when he came into the league, um, you know, just fresh off of getting like five minutes a night, all of a sudden he's getting 15, 20 and he's playing with these, this spin move that no one's seen. And it worked amazing. And he had a great season. And then the next season after everyone knew who he was, they knew his name. They've seen him in the off season, putting in work uh, at that different gyms. They've studied his tape and then he, they've just clamped him down. I feel like, like you said, teams that study his tape a lot more have found an easier way to take care of him and guard him. And some of his moves haven't been as effective. We've seen that from when the games that he's been struggling, getting blocked around the rim. And I think Norm has a huge upside from what we're seeing this season. Um, what I'm, like you kind of said with the, the thing about not being a, a one-two, I can kind of see, um, he's kind of like Malik Beasley in the games we watch. He's becoming like a pure scorer, fantastic at scoring. He can hit the three ball, he can pump fake and work his mid-range, and he's also a great uh, attacking the net. You know, he can, he's got a good hops and his layup package is really nice as well. Good free throw percentage. He's just a great scorer. In terms of creating plays, it's a little more challenging. I don't see him as the best playmaker on this team. He's not playmaking too often, but what he is great at doing is becoming a, a great scoring option, either starting or even off the bench to help that bench unit get some production. So I honestly think that his ceiling is quite high, and he definitely can learn from the hard work that Fred and Pascal have done in order to get to where they are. And I'm sure by now, from how long he's been on this team, I think he's fed up with not being a pure starter. Hopefully that doesn't come back to bite us in the butt, but I, I think that he might want a starting role soon if we don't keep him there. So that could be maybe a reason where he gets traded to a different team because he wants that starting role. But I also read that um, this trade might not go through if, if Powell's not involved in it. Because like you said, Adam, you know, they clearly want someone like him who's having an incredible season and is a great scoring option for them as a possible wing player. So he's definitely valued by many teams, and uh, he's going to be valuable in the future, too. Well, yeah, when I look at this situation, you guys mentioned most of it, but when you look at this situation, you see Norm and Fred adding things to their arsenal in their game. Uh, Fred, for example, uh, he's shooting the, the mid-range a lot more, be more crafty at the rim. You're seeing Norm playmaker a, a little bit more. Yes, Pascal has, has uh, improved in his, play, his playmaking ability, um, but we haven't seen... Uh, an increase in in his game like I just I see the usage increasing in my opinion which is bringing his statistics his statistics uh to a higher level but I don't see his game actually improving and uh I think that's a big problem uh in my opinion uh for the Raptors and that's why Mark I think you're 
that Siakam for Drummond, even if it's not uh, the best contract situation, I think is a, is a great deal. And I would take it. Moving on to the next topic. Uh, should Flynn stay with the 905 to continuously improve his game or should he stay with the Raptors and play for the, play for the big team and kind of get more reps? Uh, I think Flynn needs to go back to the 905. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not giving up, but, um, you know, he looks, he looks small on the court. Um, he shoots 28% from the field. Um, to me, it just looks like another example of just how difficult it, it actually is to make the transition from NCAA to the NBA. Uh, I don't know. It kind of just looks like he's a boy amongst men. I, I don't, I don't yeah. see much from Malachi Flynn. You know what? I think that's, I think that's fair because I, I've watched a little bit. Adam probably watched more than me of the, the Raptors 905 games and Malachi has been looking better. He looks way more confident there and we talked about it. It could be due to the, uh, the difficulty of his opponents, uh, and his comfortability being like a starter and getting a bulk of the minutes. So his role is to lead the team, but he attacks the basket a lot more. He's more aggressive with his plays, shooting the ball more confident. And then when he comes here, he's, Weary of if I miss a shot, I, I could get pulled off in like a minute. So I think that that hesitancy has caused him to kind of slow down his play. Last night, I did see a little bit where he was trying to be a little more aggressive in terms of scoring the ball. But um, there's still like when he comes here, it becomes a lot more vanilla. I don't know what it is. He just comes on the floor and just asks for pick and rolls and doesn't try to ISO or create a play with driving kicks. He just cre- makes it becomes very simple of a player when he comes with us instead of the 905. So I think staying with the 905 could benefit him a lot more in terms of confidence and playing against slightly tougher opponents than college and help that transition the gap between NCAA and NBA. Yeah, Gabe, I, th- I think you're right. And also I think that part of this, the reason is uh, that he's playing off ball on the Raptors team. In the 905, you see him a lot of, uh, a lot on ball. Uh, you see him uh, in the pick and roll a lot more. Uh, calling plays, kind of, kind of running, running the the game for first team, and uh, here in the Raptors team, I mean, he's off ball. He's kind of playing almost as a sharp shooter, which which he is. He is a great shooter. He's just not shown again in the NBA. But it's also I feel that uh, that he just needs to be in more actions. I think Nurse has to, as a coach, has to get him more involved uh, in actions when he when he is on the floor. And, uh, and kind of give Fred and, and Lowry a break when he is on the floor, kind of as a secondary playmaker, as we've seen uh, DeAndre Bembry do this season as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. Just getting him more minutes and um, getting him more on ball, creating plays and trying to run that bench unit. If we want to keep him here and we're going to keep him here, I think he just needs more time with the ball on his hands. Thoughts on Bembry? Anybody have thoughts on Be- Bembry? Uh, personally, I love Bembry. I think that he plays solid. Um Obviously, his offensive game isn't fantastic, but I think that defensively he is fantastic. We can see him, we've seen him go up against guys like Giannis and players that are much bigger, taller. He becomes a bit of a pest on defense and offensively as well. Uh, he's not a scorer, but I think that he's a solid playmaker for this team. He does make mistakes at times, that's for sure, but I think that a lot of the times he looks for winning plays. Uh, he has a bit of hops that can help him at times, and that three ball. Although it's traditionally been horrible and he doesn't shoot it often, for us it's been pretty solid. It hasn't been something that I can complain about as much as I thought I would have. Yeah, he's been playing very, very confidently in the last couple of games, and uh, when he's really given his chance, I know in the start of the season he wasn't. Uh, he looked a little bit hesitant. Uh, I think it was just maybe nerves, uh, just coming to a new team and stuff. But he kind of fit into his role here um, with Terrence Davis not doing too well. Uh, 
of late and then obviously having the big game now. But, but yeah, he kind of took that role and, uh, Thomas wasn't playing well defensively either. So the kind of the downfalls of the team, he kind of took advantage, took his spot and, and here he is in the backup point guard role and uh, starting in the last couple of games. So, uh, we're seeing a lot from DeAndre Bembry here. So the first game we're going to quickly recap is the Toronto Raptors versus the Milwaukee Bucks. The Raptors came away with this one 110 to 96. And the story of this game was basically a continuation of the first game from the doubleheader. We just kind of played even better than we did the previous game. We started the the first half. We were up by 17 at half. It was basically just a blowout. Um, kind of held them to uh, really small numbers shooting wise. Uh, they only had 41 points at half, which is not something you see from Milwaukee often. And I just think that we just stepped up, it's kind of surprisingly, because we did have um, no Kyle in this game. So seeing Bembry start at the two position, two guard, um, like we talked about right now, um, I think he just did decent. Seeing him trying to match up against bigger players at times, putting him on Giannis uh, was interesting. Or even Middleton, depends where he played. I think that he's just a good defender and he kind of showed off his worth there. And in terms of scoring-wise, we kind of had two big performances of the night. Norman Powell was incredible, 29 points, four boards, three assists, two steals, nine for 12 shooting, which is very impressive. And Pascal Siakam had 27 points, six boards, five assists, nine for 18 from the field, two blocks. They kind of carried the load in terms of scoring. We even had Fred uh, chipping in 17 points and eight assists, but the shooting numbers weren't the best, only five for 15. And then OG actually came back from his injury, played his uh, uh, first full game at 10 points on the night. Uh, seven rebounds, but only shot four for 12. So obviously he was shooting amazing before this, uh, before his injury. His three ball looked a lot better, but then this game 0 for six, uh, not what we wanted to see, but hey, we came up with the win. So I'll take that. No one else in the team really produced that much in terms of scoring. Uh, Matt Thomas played a little bit more than we've been seeing in games past. He had 16 minutes of play, but only five points, two for five shooting. So I think that if he wants to have a defined role in this team, he's going to have to get more shots, and make more. Simple as that. And for the Bucks, it was pretty much just Giannis had a good night. He had 23 points, 12 boards, but and 8 assists. But it was only 8 for 20 shooting, which isn't fantastic from him. And we did a good job, once again, at closing down Lopez and Middleton. Lopez held him to 12 points, only 4 rebounds on the night. And Middleton, only uh, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 for 13 shooting. So besides uh, Giannis, no one really else carried the scoring load from Milwaukee like they usually do. Um, obviously their whole team put up, uh, pretty much the starters all put up double digit points, but you know, nothing crazy. I, I was really surprised by our team's performance and how much of a blow this was. Yeah, Mark, I just wanted to ask you, um, when guarding Giannis or Middleton, uh, with those two guys, how would you play, uh, each one of them, uh, defensively if we do see the Bucks in the postseason? Um, well, you know what? We, Especially in the fourth quarter, we, we really shut down, um, we really shut down Giannis. Like, he was very frustrated. He, he elbowed OG pretty blatantly and got that flagrant at the end. Um, you know, I think, I think it's a matter, Adam, of when you see Giannis come in, he can either go up or kick out. Uh, I, I think some form of, some form of zone, uh, bringing in a second man when Giannis is driving, but also motioning towards, Middleton, their main perimeter threat, while that's happening, because that's really his number one look. Yeah. Uh, so if we shut that down, um, y- you know they become they, they become pretty one dimensional. Like I don't really see anybody on the Bucks that that gives them a lot of depth. Like Di yeah. Vincenzo, I, I saw that guy play. He's playing bummy. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know about the Bucks this year. And even Giannis, you know, when when you can't um when you can't develop your your mid game or even your your three ball, uh yeah. like we've seen with Anthony Davis, like th- that's a real plateau in today's modern era of basketball. Like how about the free throws as well? Those have been really poor from Giannis. Just he he gets to the line ten times a game and he just he, he barely makes five, like five or six, and it's it's demoralizing for the Bucks. Yep, he was seven for thirteen from the uh, free throw line this game, and I think Mark hit like just basically got the point exactly right. If you kind of slow down uh, Giannis in terms of a double team near the basket, he's forced to kick it, and they did that the entire game. Basically, the whole game is put the ball in Giannis's hands, let him run that play. And then when it gets to near the end, they kind of give Middleton more of the ball because he can score in different ways, a little bit more of a three-level scorer. And he started to produce a couple more points near the end of the game, but that's pretty much what it is. Close him down on the drive, force him to kick, and bet on the other players. You know, Forbes can shoot the ball decently well. Um, DiVincenzo hasn't had the best two performances the nights that we versed him, in my opinion, and Brooke Lopez also was struggling to shoot. So when you got their role players not playing well, the team becomes pretty one-dimensional, like Marco said. Now for the final game, we're going to talk about the Raptors versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, as we get into this one, um, we kind of had a little bit of flashbacks from the roller last coaster. Night. Yeah, the roller coaster. We kind of had flashbacks from the last game we played them, and we lost by uh, missing a game-winning layup. And I thought, how the heck are we this close to the Minnesota Timberwolves? And when we watched the game, the first quarter clearly showed. I'm like, okay, this is the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is what I expected. It looks like a worst... pickup game. Yeah, like yeah a pick... exactly. <laughs> the worst, the worst place team only putting up 15 points in the first quarter. So from that, I saw, okay, this is the team I expected to play. Um, the role players aren't hitting a bunch of threes like they were when we versed them. They're actually missing majority of their shots. At one point, they were like seven percent from three. I think like one for 14. And I thought, okay, this is what I expect. We're easily outscoring them, and we're playing our bench. Uh, for like half of the first quarter, which we never see often. So it was 28 to 15 in the first quarter. And I'm like, okay, this one, it's going to be a blowout. We're fine. We'll win it. Uh, the score ended 86, 81. So something there is a problem because a, it's extremely close and B 80, 86 points for us and 81 for them. No one even got over 90 points that you don't see that often. Usually that's because of great defense. But in fact, this game, it was because of horrible offense. The Raptors shot 33% from the, uh, field goal range and the Timberwolves shot 39%. So even shooting better from us than us, um, we hit more threes. That was the difference maker. And uh, we got to the line more times, much more and uh, shot them at a better percentage, but they shot better than us from the field uh, from a team that was about 7% from three to start the game. This is shocking. And it was largely due to a third quarter collapse. That's the simplest way to describe it. If people weren't watching the game, I'll basically sum it up like this. Uh, we went six minutes and 20 seconds where we did not score at all. It was an 18-0 run. And then in 10 minutes and 23 seconds time, we had no field goals. I think we made one free throw. So yeah. the game completely swung. We went up from, we went from being like up 16 to down four somehow or down two. Like that's roughly what the, the play was. So it was just a collapse and I don't know what the heck happened because it wasn't like we played our bench unit who kind of, you know, we expect them to be a little shitty. It was our starters. And I don't know what happened because our starters looked like they were playing solid. And then there was a huge collapse. Before I get into, uh, I guess, like player stats, do you guys want to comment on what the heck happened in that third quarter? I think it was a 24 to four run, um, something like that. But, you know, if you, if you were watching, you could see, we were we were really small at the time. Malachi Flynn was on the court, um, so we went to our zone 
for the most part. Uh, and we saw a lot of like desperate double teams on cat in the paint. And that led to like a lot of open lanes or wide open perimeter threes. Um, you can't have that. That's why I'm not too much of a fan of, of small ball. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really hoping we do trade for Drummond, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think we definitely need to cover some holes in that, in that regard. Yeah, I think we went uh, extremely small, Mark. I think one time Stanley was on uh, the Towns uh, in the start of the fourth quarter. Like, I don't know what what kind of matchups are those from Nurse. Uh, you got Siakam, you got Baines, you got Boucher, and you just pick Johnson, I guess, maybe to have the quicker look, uh, quicker rotations on the perimeter. But that I don't understand. And for the drought, I thought we were just really stagnant. Um, we weren't using our legs in our jump shot. And uh, I think it was because of uh, the back-to-back. Uh, a lot of the players looked a little tired. Uh, as we saw in the second half, but uh, we got a, we we fought through it, and I do give credit to the team for for, for not breaking. We 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 bent, but it wasn't a full collapse in the end. Yeah, it basically was. Siakam didn't produce anything for most of the night. He had I think four points going into the fourth quarter, so he didn't really add to anything there. Uh, Fred, who was playing decent a start, ended up this game four for twenty from the field, two for nine from three, and he missed a, a bulk of the shots in that third quarter stretch there. Um, he was usually open, hitting like an open three on good ball movement, and it just wasn't falling for him. And then um, other pieces, Bembry shot three for nine. Boucher was three for nine. Um, Baines 0 for three, didn't make a shot. Flynn one for six. No one shot too good this game except for Powell, who was 10 for 19, making six threes on the night. He had uh, two steals, two assists, six rebounds, and 31 points. He basically carried majority of the scoring. When we needed a bucket, he was actually making them and shooting efficiently, someone that we can count on. And he was making somewhat of tough three-pointers at times, uh, like pull-ups, catch-and-shoots. So he really carried us this game because Fred just wasn't hitting them. Pascal was nowhere to be found for most of the game, and uh, the rest of the team wasn't performing at all. Uh, with no Lowry and no OG this game, it, it proved to be a little bit of a problem. And Siakam, he kind of stepped up in that, that fourth quarter, though, something we don't see often. This fourth quarter, he actually played surprisingly well. He had uh, three blocks in that final quarter, plus an and one play and another basket that really swung the game back into our momentum. So I guess kudos for him on that, for stepping up near the end. And uh, I guess we got to also mention for Minnesota, Cat was a big factor, 19 points, 13 rebounds, 8 for 13 shooting, 2 blocks. No one else did that much. Beasley, we kind of kept quiet from his past game. He only had 13 points on 5 for 16 shooting. And uh, McLaughlin, the, the goblin guy, as I call him, had 11 points. Uh, no one else was in double digits, but we do have to shout out Anthony Edwards may have the dunk of the year on my favorite player, Watanabe. Uh, Just was tough destroying to watch. Watanabe. <laughs> it was Beautiful tough to watch. That guy. <laughs> he put him in a body bag. I can't even lie. He I, People in the comments of like sideline sources and NBA and the score were going crazy. He, he murdered the man. Uh, it basically put him in yeah, a body bag. Yeah, that thing. was bad. It was a full yeah. cock back, hard jam. Watanabe fell in the, to the floor. <laughs> Edwards landed on top of him in, in like a, a, a questionable position there. I, I don't know what that was. It was just, it was demoralizing. Yeah, demoralizing. <laughs> and then, and then Reed came over to also flex a Watanabe who was on the floor, kind of flailed. And then we, Malachi had to pick him up and kind of help him up. He rocked him. Simple as that. So I guess, you know, Edwards, that was a crazy dunk. Well, it might be dunk of the year. Well, he could keep yeah, flexing. Yeah, Watanabe's back to the 905. <laughs> <laughs> well, Edwards could keep flexing because he uh, his team's got the worst record in the league. So yeah, he did lose. He did lose this game, and he's got the worst record. So nothing to be too proud about. If you're lucky, you'll win Rookie of the Year. But 
dunk of the year, it's not going to get you very far in terms of. I think uh, that's Lamelo, so pretty easy thus far. I think Lamelo too right now, but I know people are considering Edwards. So I just wanted to give him the shout out, but you know, yeah. you're not going to much of that. Take your dunk with, like, take your dunk as you please, but whatever. I'll let it go. How do you, uh, how do you guys feel about? You know, I think the biggest, the biggest step for Fred is going to be, um, you know, just a little bit more consistency. Cause we, we often see like, you know, I'll have a 30 point total. Yeah. He'll have 20. Yeah. And then, you know, some games he's just kind of cold. He comes alive in the fourth, but I don't know. Do you guys think that for him to take that next step, it's, it's just really going to have to be consistency? Well, one thing I like about him is that when the shooting nights are horrible, we can count on him to at least facilitate the floor and play solid defense. His numbers always end up being like two steals, two blocks, <laughs> somehow, you know, as a guard. And if you've seen his game, you know that he has really fast hands. Like some plays are just impressive. When he stops Giannis or Cat, players that are much bigger and stronger than him and taller, uh, they're driving full speed at him and he gets the perfect time to rip the ball out of their hands. Plays like that are just winning plays. So I think that will help him um, be a, a starting point guard and get all his minutes, of course. But I think obviously scoring at times could be a problem. We saw what happens without Lowry, another guard who can possibly score at times. Without him, we can go on a drought. We saw that huge drought in the third. Obviously, other players did not step up as well. But Fred is a huge scoring asset to this team. So at times, there could be a huge problem if he goes on these droughts. Because there has been a little bit of 30-point night and 10-point night. Um, luckily, we've had other players step up. But it is something we have to watch for, I think. Yeah, Mark. To answer your question here, I think I think Fred, uh, since he's, he's he, I think he's really such a good scorer. Um, sometimes he kind of falls into the trap of taking uh, bad percentage shots, uh, leaning threes, uh, threes from way yeah. too deep, and uh, I think it kind of really ruins his his shooting percentage in that regard. I think if he, if he was playing a little bit more conservative, uh, I think he would he would uh, be a much better player in terms of efficiency. But yeah, like Gabe said, he brings it on both ends, always uh, with the steals, the blocks, um, and he really keeps the the, the team going. Uh, in the Timberwolves game, I think that that was one of the only games I've ever seen him that he didn't really step up in the clutch, and uh, and that was pretty surprising. But but usually Fred is always there for the team, and usually to, he's always the guy to end the drought or uh, keep the team rolling. So uh, that's what I think. I think that's fair. Uh, we look like we're coming up on time here, so I just want to say obviously. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Marco, for coming on here. It was great having you and hearing your opinion on some of these pieces. Thanks, bro. Thanks, boys. Yeah. And, Pleasure uh, being on. Of course. Uh, everyone, as always, please like and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram at Rapsville and leave your comments down below. That's pretty much it. And that's us signing out. Peace. Deuces. Later.